Talia. Welcome to Good Luck Charlie. Just like you, I'm on the journey of self-discovery and I'm daily trying to learn what it means to find balance, create lifelong friendships, chase my dreams and invest in my future. So here's what I'm learning and loving on this crazy path of life. I'm so glad you decided to join me. Hello, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of the Good Luck Charlie podcast, another future me episode where I aim to hope, I aim and hope to provide resources for people who are just sitting there thinking, what am I going to do with my life? What is out there for me? What am I supposed to do? Because I was that person for a long time throughout high school, having no idea what I wanted to do with my life and also feeling like there weren't any resources out there to help us discover what we can do with our life and what it actually means to be a teacher or a nurse nowadays. And so I aim and I hope to be able to provide that resource. And so today is another Future Me episode where I aim to just answer some of those questions about what does it actually mean to be a university lecturer and an academic today. And so if that is something that you are interested in, you are in the right place. This episode, I'm interviewing one of our good family friends, Julie, who is a university lecturer in like music and teaching. So she is a very amazing, lovely, engaging and passionate person. And I think you will see that throughout this. Um, academia was definitely not something that I was interested in at all until I listened to this episode and Julie's passion for it just made me want to do it, which was crazy. I definitely didn't expect that. So I think you might find that you're more interested in this than what you realized. Otherwise, if you're not interested, it's again just a great way to gain a little bit more respect and understanding and appreciation for the roles and jobs of those around us. So I really, really hope you enjoy this episode. Just for a little bit of context, Julie mentions a guy called Rory a few times. That is her husband. So if you don't know that, that's her husband and he owns a dental practice. So when that is mentioned, that's who he is and that's his story. So Just wanted to provide that little bit of context. Otherwise, I really hope you enjoy. I hope you can hear her passion. And regardless of if you want to be a university lecturer, you deserve to have a job that makes you feel just as passionate as Julie does about hers. And if nothing else, that should be your takeaway from today. So I hope you enjoy and thank you so, so much once again to Julie. Hello, Julie speaking. Hey, Julie, it's Tanya. Thank you so much, Julie, for your time tonight, for sharing some of your story, some of your experience, the highlights and the challenges in your role and all of the above. It's really going to be interesting to hear a bit about the life of a university lecturer. I think that's a perspective and a job that you don't necessarily hear about too often. So I'm definitely excited to gain a little bit more insight. I kind of have no idea what to expect, but thank you for being here. No problem. Thanks for inviting me, Talia. You're so welcome. But if we could begin by hearing about how you would describe your job to an eight-year-old. Okay. Well, I have a child that was eight until last week. So the way I describe my job to my children um, is that um, mummy teaches teachers how to be teachers. (laughs) So I, um, and that's a large part of my job is the teaching component. Mm. And I also ask big questions about the world and try to solve the, the, the questions, solve those problems, you know, answer those questions. And I do that through reading and asking other people and working on my computer and working <laughs> with other people. <laughs> I love it. 
I simple but detailed at the same time. That's very cool. I can imagine <laughs> you saying that to them. They're pretty sweet. But then on the other end of the spectrum, how would you explain it to an 80-year-old? So I often explain it in a very similar way <laughs> to an 80-year-old <laughs> and an 8-year-old uh, because I think I, I've found that um, very few people actually have a very clear understanding of what academia is mm. these days. Um, and they have sort of an idealistic idea about what it is. Um, you know, you imagine these people sitting in the ivory tower contemplating their navels and, thought, you know, um, having a lot of fun, um, you know, a lot of coffees and a lot of teas and, you know, chatting a lot with one another and, you know, all of the, all of the um, examples that we have on TV and in the movies, uh, usually from um, the U.S., very different to my experience of being an academic Um, and so um, yeah I usually talk about the fact that I'm in um, all academics um, who are involved in teaching and research so there's different sorts of academics Mm -hmm. but generally um, the people that are employed on an ongoing basis by a university are involved in teaching and in research and they also have to do a lot of administration, um, Fun. like most people. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll dive into all of that later and I want to hear about the different types of academia and if someone's interested in that, the different fields that they could explore. But I'm sure that your 18-year-old self talked about lots of eights recently, eight, 80, 18-year-old self, but when you were 18, I'm sure you didn't necessarily expect to be where you are today. So how, what, what has your life path and career path kind of looked like from when you graduated high school to what you're doing now? Okay. This is always a fun part. Yeah. Um, when I was at the Gap State High, which is where I went mm. to school, um, I, when I was in September time, it was probably August time, you know, we were, everyone's trying to figure out what they wanted to do. And at that point in time, I did not know what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I've been thinking about it a lot because I was quite a serious child, <laughs> um, teenager. <laughs> um, and um, I had actually six different degrees down on my QTAC wow. form. So I had um, a couple of degrees that involved music. So I did like music. I also had a couple of degrees that had law and arts. Mm. I'm trying to remember what the other one was. I had um, I was really interested in psychology and history. Cool. So uh, various permutations of those things. But um, the opportunity to uh, audition for the university um, to do music, because if you want to do music and it's still the same thing, you have to audition mm-hmm. and around September time. And so I took that opportunity and I auditioned um, at a couple of the universities and got offered places. Um, and so I actually got went into the final term of my school knowing that I have, that yes. I didn't even have to get a good grade necessarily um, because I already had a place in the university mm-hmm. system in a, um, and I had decided I, I was lucky I got to choose between universities and I got to choose um, a, a university that was going to allow me to do um, a bunch of those things, like to cobble together something, yeah, basically, cool. um, that involved uh, music, 
um, and music on both instruments that I was interested in, which was piano and bassoon, mm-hmm. and history. So I, I enrolled wow. in a degree that was a dual degree, um, a Bachelor of Music in Performance on Piano and, and Bassoon, a uh, double degree with education with a second teaching area in history. It is so amazing that so you were able to combine all of that so perfectly and um, address so many of your passions. It's crazy that you could find well, a degree that suited you so much. Yeah, but it didn't. So um, oh. this is something that – so I actually made that degree up myself. Oh. So basically – so this, I mean, this is something that I think a lot of students don't realise. You know, if you push and prod enough, still at universities, and this, I mean, that was 20 years ago yeah. – you can usually find ways <laughs> to wow. do what you want to do. You know, there were ways of, a means of ways to do it um, if you if you pushed and asked <laughs> the right questions, I suppose. Yeah. So yeah, I jumped into that not necessarily thinking I was going to become a music teacher, Talia, mm-hmm. um, but thinking it was a good um, job yeah. to have. I didn't. Um, yeah, I did, the thought of being a music teacher wasn't so inspiring at that age. Mm-hmm. I was thought, you know, we'll see how I go. And then um, I really enjoyed it at uni. Um, but the thing that I really enjoyed was in the final year, we got to do a subject that was called independent study, which is essentially like a, what, a thesis. Yes. Okay. And um, I really enjoyed that. And someone uh, suggested to me, uh, a senior academic at the uni, that mm. I should try and do my master's degree. And I thought, oh, oh my wow. goodness. My, now, I come from a family with a lot of academics in them. <laughs> my yeah. dad's an academic, my grandfather's an academic. Um, and um, none of them had ever said that maybe I should think about postgrad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I asked them, I said, what do you think? They went, oh, yeah, give it a go. I was wow. like, all right. My dad just thought I should get out there and get a job. And I had actually been offered, I, I did very well at university. I, I, I did, I got good grades. <laughs> and, um, and anyway, I got... I had a job. I was going to go up to teach. I had a head of school position. It was a really great position. Wow. But I also had a boyfriend, Talia. Oh, those he boys. Was, I was rather in love with him. <laughs> and he was not moving. So I applied for this master's thing thinking, oh, maybe if I got a scholarship, uh, then I could afford to live mm-hmm. and um, stay in Brisbane. And I got the scholarship. So Ooh. I would, yeah. So then I had to say no to the job. Which, um, and, and take up other teaching jobs in Brisbane and around the area as, um, you know, as a music teacher while doing my study. So I pretty much went straight into some study. After you did your master's and you applied for that and obviously got accepted, was it pretty mm. linear, master's and then academia lecturing or what was that then path like? It was relatively linear, I suppose. I was teaching uh, as soon as I got into the master's um, because I was on scholarship, um, I got offered all sorts of opportunities to teach in the university as a tutor. So I was teaching at school, yeah. but I was also teaching um, at uni. So first year out of uni, I was teaching history. I taught some history wow, courses okay. at uni, um, not music. Um, yeah. And and indeed, my my master's was in education, not in music. So the topic mm. was in music, but it was sat through education because that's where my honours was. Yeah. Um, and um, I upgraded from the master's to the PhD uh, six months in. So I pretty much went straight into the PhD yeah. because uh, I, 
you can you can do that. And you just obviously um, enjoyed it and wanted to. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I really was really enjoying it. And I mean, it was great. Uh, you know, nice to be having an income for a while mm. and and doing all the things that I've been hoping to do. And then um, I did my PA, my my studies for two years full time. Yeah. Wow. At which point in time I applied for a, a and I worked pretty hard at, at getting publications early on in my yeah, okay. studies. Cool. And so I went for a job. There was a job advertised for a year and a half contract at Australian Catholic Uni. Mm-hmm. And that's, I accepted that job um, for a huge pay cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I would have been earning more as a first year teacher. Um, yeah, wow. But it was um, really great stepping stone to get to see if I wanted to be an academic. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Look at you go. It is interesting <laughs> hearing about the process and even though regardless of whether it's in education or psychology, I know it's probably fairly similar going from your master's to your PhD and trying to balance working along the way and everything else. Yeah. So it is cool to hear that process and that journey a little bit and how you managed it. Yeah, it's very unusual. My my process is very, very unusual, though. Yeah, it's not okay. the typical story in education. And the typical story in education is that someone would have not done what I did. They would have gone <laughs> and taken the job up in Rockhampton <laughs> yeah. and and then, you know, decided 10 years later to come back and do their PhD. And yeah, so okay. most of my PhD students have, have been teaching in schools for much longer than I had mm-hmm. when I went and did the PhD. Yeah, that's much more typical. So have you noticed differences between you and them then? Like what are some positives and negatives from go- of going straight into doing the PhD as opposed to maybe gaining a little bit more experience? Have you ever thought about that really? Yeah, look, I think that um, uh, my PhD was actually on teacher education. So mm-hmm. I wasn't doing um, research in school teaching. Okay. Um, I was doing it in university teaching, which was what I was wanting to do. Um, and so, um, in terms of the research side of things, there were absolutely no negatives for doing it the way that I did it. Um, uh, but that's largely because the topic that I chose. Um, so I think, um, I think being young and as a young academic is difficult. Um, and it's much more difficult now than it was even when I went through. I think that going, going into, going into your PhD, straight from, you know, straight away is very easy because it's just the next step up from yes. undergrad, really. It's, you know, how everything works. Yeah. You're in the habit of writing. You're in the habit of studying. It's just a little bit like um, if you asked someone, you know, should they should you have a gap year or, you know, or yeah. what? There's benefits to both things. Yeah. And, um, you know, going straight from school to uni is easier mm-hmm. in many ways uh, in terms of the study side of things. Yeah. But but also, you know, there's benefits and drawbacks to both. So I think it's the same at any transition, life transition. There's, you know, positives and negatives both ways. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Very wise. Very wise. <laughs> um, and so what does a pretty ordinary day look like for you? You mentioned before that every day is different and you never quite know what's coming next, but just a standard every day, what, what does it look like? It's really very variable um, to the point where, um, like, Rory and I usually have a conversation. What's happening tomorrow? (laughs) And I'll pull out my my calendar and and, and try and figure it out. Mm. Um, During semester time, 
So I'm usually on campus. I, um, you know, even during COVID, I'm, I've been trying to go onto campus as much as I can because um, I think that, uh, as you know, if there's the possibility of teaching face to face, it's better. Yeah. It's better for me. It's better for the students. Um, and you know, if it's if there's possibility for having interaction with colleagues, that's better face to face most mm-hmm. of the time. Um, so I try. I have. I drive into uni after dropping off the kids or Rory will be dropping off the kids and um, I will uh, have a day that would be comprised of a mixture of meetings um, with other colleagues talking about all different things, talking about I'd have research meetings, I'd have teaching meetings, planning for teaching, um, looking at policies and trying to do those sorts of things. I'm in charge of higher degree research in the school, so wow. it'd be meetings in relation to uh, examining people or, or their progression through their higher degrees. Yeah. Um, I would have student meetings. So I would have, I've got quite a few postgraduate students and honours students, and so they would, you know, come in and um, we have scheduled meetings to go through their work. I would also, you know, there would also be teaching in there. So I teach a a variety of courses and a variety of topics and some of them are online nowadays and some of them are not. Um, So some of them are very practical (laughs) some of them are more theoretical. Um, And in there I try to fit some research work if I can, although generally I, I find that nowadays I have to block over a period of time to do thinking, reading, work. And I, yeah, and I also every day um, log in. To, I'm, a, I'm an editor of a, a research journal and mm. so um, I, I have to get into the system to see, uh, you know, what tasks need to be done in relation yeah. to um, reviewing and editing uh, manuscripts for publication. Wowzers, there are so many different aspects to it. Do you find it do you find it tricky to kind of reconcile all of them and juggle all of them and switch from meeting brain to research brain to teaching brain or does it just kind of Sometimes. come with the territory? Look, I try and set, I almost try and segment my year rather than yeah, segmenting okay. my So I try to like if it's a day that's with meetings, then it's a day with meetings, and I don't try and get any meaningful research done. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's a day with teaching, then in between there, there's you know, hundreds of emails like everybody in the world has. Um, and so I try and, you know, fill in the the time with, um, you know, pockets of deep thinking and yeah. teaching when uh, menial tasks in between sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's more... It's more segmented into uh, when I'm not teaching I, I can make la- take larger chunks of time mm-hmm. to do bigger amounts on research and thinking I suppose yeah. yeah do you think that kind of segmentation is a skill that you picked up along the way and learned that that was the most effective way to manage all of your tasks or what do you feel like you kind of did that right from the get-go um, I think as a music student, you have to be good at that sort of thing straight straight up. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure this is probably a challenging question to answer, but if you had to break up the aspects of your job into percentages, so research versus teaching, whatever, what would that kind of split up of your time look like? 
Oh, well, I can tell you the official answer. Okay. The official answer is I'm supposed to do 40% of my time as a research in, in research, uh-huh. 40% of my time as a teacher in teaching, yeah. and 20% in admin. Is that according to job description or what is the official? Yes, uh, that, that was what I was employed on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, most teaching and research academics have that kind of uh, assumption. Uh-huh. But, you know, given different um, calls on your time, that will shift and move around as, as the needs come and go, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. I didn't expect that to be such a set in stone answer, but I'm impressed that <laughs> there is one. <sighs> Do you feel how much of your job stays at work when you come home can you leave it at work and forget about it or do you feel like it's always on your mind there's always things you're supposed to be doing for it um i i think um when i didn't have children Mm. it was much harder for me to turn off and um it's not academia does attract a certain sort of person um i've found um not necessarily i'm not necessarily one of those people because i think my trajectory into academia is quite different to a lot of other people Mm. um but um people think that being an academic is is a bit of a vocation so a lot of people go into it thinking they have a calling to either um teach or to you know solve big problems and Mm. and a privilege now when you go into a job thinking those sorts of things it puts a burden on you uh i think um, that I don't feel as much. I really love teaching mm-hmm. and I really love research. I really I feel very fortunate that those are both components of my job. I love teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, don't, I do feel like it's healthy to think of it as a job because it is a job. Yeah. Um, to do the very best you can, but to, to protect... Um, your home life and you know the other parts of yourself that are also important Uh, but uh, I think that academics as a bunch often find that quite difficult that work-life balance it's such a flexible job that it can it can encroach upon your every day Mm -hmm. and every night Um, so you know with flexibility comes overwork for for a lot of people yeah yeah that's a very interesting point and I hadn't thought about it in that aspect before but I feel like it applies to a lot of jobs as well and yeah. people always talk about you want to be passionate and you want to love your job but where is that line between realizing it is just a job and your life has more meaning and purpose outside of that role and it can't be your everything so I feel like that was some good advice for anyone in any role and just managing <laughs> that kind of balance. Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily manage it myself, but I know I know the answer for myself, Talia. I'm still learning. Love it. Well, what do you find, and you said you love teaching and you said you love research, but specifically what would be the most rewarding part of your job for you? The most rewarding is um, uh, teaching yeah. I, and um, collaborating with research. So um, being with people. For me, that's the thing that... Um, you know, at the end of the year, you get to reflect on what, what's been and gone and, and students will come and say, I remember when you did that or, you know, this 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 really um, challenged me or, you know, I never thought about it that way before. And that 
that really um, gives you a bit of a boost and yeah. therefore it feels rewarding. Um, uh, I I love working with people and so um, the person that came along to the conference today, um, she and I have a really challenging um, discussion sometimes but also normal talk. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I love uh, being challenged to think differently and to genuinely... Uh, force myself to rethink what I actually think yeah. about the world and and those sorts of things. I find I find that that's amazing. Exercising my brain to be very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's, it's it's to do with interactions with people, students and uh, and colleagues. I'd say. I feel like that sums up almost every aspect of the job, which I am, explains why you love it so much. Then as well. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I think I've fallen into a good job for me, and yeah. I often often wonder, um, you know, but I, I think I probably could enjoy other jobs as well because there are other jobs that have that as well, yeah. um, you know. Um, but the there is a, a genuine flexibility available um, in academia where you can, once you get to a certain place, say, "Oh, I'd like to look into this." Mm-hmm. And as long as you can, you know, work hard enough to get some sort of track record in that space, then you mm-hmm. should be able to to do that. And if you can work, find people to work with, yeah. so it, it is lucky in that regard. So, what what sort of examples of things have you researched or have you gone? Oh, I'd like to look into that for, and then worked your way to happen. Oh, well, a fun example is um, uh, when I was finishing my PhD. Um, my supervisor got a job in tourism, um, yeah. and so she had been. And she's a psychologist by training, um, and she and I chatted. And I said, "We need to figure out something we can do together." <laughs> I said, um, what, "What should we do?" Like, you know, she goes, "Well, you know, she's doing. A, she was looking into ecotourism and events." And I said, yeah. "Oh, music events, music, <laughs> fest- music festivals. Let's do some work." On music festivals. That's cool. Um, and it was kind of like an offhand thing, but I actually I was quite serious. <laughs> and we ended up um, doing, you know, thinking about it for a while, and um, we did it. two little two research papers. Actually, my dad's in the same field as she is, and mm-hmm. so we wrote a paper on the social and psychological well-being impacts of attending music festivals and it was Ballantine, Ballantine and Packer. So it was super fun. That's cool. So it's about <laughs> and it was a cool topic as well. And yeah, you know so interesting. enabled it enabled us to do some other stuff and we're we're planning some more work in that area as we speak. Yeah. Wow. I want to read that. I that is really, really cool. And so random that you can just kind of decide to research that and then you get to spend your time investigating something you're interested in that is a pretty cool job yeah yeah that's that's the fun part of it (laughs) well then you kind of indicated then what is the challenging part of it (laughs) look um I think I think that the one of the challenges I have found and I think I hinted at it before um separating uh you know the work-life balance part has been hard, yeah. and um, and truthfully, um, being an academic with small children has been really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, it 
really wasn't set up. Academia, when I was going through with small children, for people with small children. Yeah. It is already better than it was 12 years ago, um, but it really was tough. And um, the problem with, you know, taking maternity leave or taking any sort of leave, going part-time, anything like that, in academia is it really stunts your career progression and it stunts your capacity to do research because research requires very ongoing work. And so, yeah, that that's probably the most challenging thing, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. have you really found any ways to mitigate that or overcome that? Or I mean, you mentioned that the system kids, has changed. Kids in grow a way. up. Kids grow up, yeah. <laughs> so it's just something you have to put uh, up with for a bit. Look, I haven't managed to. I don't. I don't know if I've managed personally to do anything about it. But yeah. um, universities are definitely paying more attention to parental leave um, for both uh, men and women. Um, and they are there are loads more schemes around. Like the, the scheme that I was desperate for on upon return from either of my kids was some sort of a injection of funds to you know get your research up off the ground. And I've seen that that's there now. That's so you know the, the, things are getting better. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, you kind of touched yeah. on one question that I had wanted to ask: is how have you seen? education and music, but also academia change over the past few years? Yeah, well, COVID changes. Uh, I think COVID has brought a whole bunch of changes that um, universities wanted to put in place. I think that academia is harder than it used to be. I think um, accessibility to staff is, has increased the workload. Um, The expectations have been raised. The difficult, the, um, the amount of funding available for grants is less. Oh, wow. Um, the competition is greater. So, you know, it's um, it's a really competitive environment mm-hmm. um, nowadays. And, and it's really hard to get a job um, in academia. There's many, many more people um, working in universities that have permanent positions. Um, wow. There's lots of people on casual, casual jobs. Um, you know, coming in and teaching courses, you know, talk to your sister. That yeah. She'll be taught by a whole bunch of people that are not permanent staff at the, at the uni. Um, and so that's hard for them. It's also hard for the workforce generally, yeah. Um, so I think that it's there's not a lot of money around for research. There's less money around to support teaching. Um, and there, there are a lot of people in academia who, who feel very, very stressed. Mm-hmm. And burnt out, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. What do you think contributed to that? And like, why would it be more beneficial to have part time and casual workers as opposed to full times? Well, it's cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's about money. It's about money, and and it, and I I don't think that the university wants it that way. Yeah. Um, it's just that. Um, so much of, of the income to the universities goes to staff salaries, yeah. like the vast majority, just the way it is. But also, look, I'm painting a negative picture. Maybe it's because the sun's no. going down. <laughs> um, the, um, a lot of people want to be casual staff as well. Yeah, okay. Because um, so if, if, you're, if you're a doctor, like I know a doctor, she's a paediatrician, mm-hmm. um, and she loves teaching part-time at the university casual loves it perfect for her um 
and that's the case in a lot of um, disciplines where people don't actually want to become academics, but they like to contribute to the profession in that way or they like to contribute, you know, have a bit of uh, yeah, connection with academia. So there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people don't actually want to become academics. <laughs> they see it as quite a quite a difficult job um perhaps and um and they see how stressful I don't know you've sold it though I I would I have never considered myself as an academic but after listening to you I was like huh this is really cool I get to research what I want get to teach people but I'm sure it's not fully like that but you're definitely selling it to me so (laughs) sounds good (laughs) what would you become an academic in Charlie what area oh my gosh I have no idea I, I don't even know what I want to study on, like, as an undergrad yet. So maybe after I That's do right. that, we you can You don't see. have to decide. You do not have to decide mm, straight away. No rush. Uh, you know, Rory, my husband, mm. he, um, he, he studied for 12 years. He's got, like, four different degrees. Yeah, yikes. I don't think <laughs> I could do that. Um, what do you believe is the most important quality for a lecturer or an academic to have? Mm. Good question. You have to be curious. You have to be curious of the world and you have to be curious of people. Short and sweet. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very good answer. And do you think most people, you see that in people the second they sign up? Can you kind of tell who's going to stick it out and do well? or? No, I I don't think I've been in the game long enough to be able to say that. I'm able to to tell. I can tell students who I think would be be good researchers um, and good teachers. And and I do think curiosity and and the other characteristic I I should add to it is um, persistence and resilience. Um, So someone who's willing to um, keep going no matter how many times you get knocked back. You know, the whole Einstein thing, he was an academic, Um, you know, 99% persistence, 1% inspiration. I can't remember the exact Something like that. (laughs) Sound bite. You know, how many many no's you get before you get a yes, Mm. Um, how how many times you get it wrong before you get it right, all of that, um, and yet being able to keep going, that's also really important and and valuable in his career. Yeah. That's cool. Very good summary. The, the curiosity, you have to be curious of your students. So the curiosity yes. is definitely <laughs> something that comes into the teaching component. <laughs> That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. But I guess that curiosity in your students is also just a general desire to form a relationship with them and make them feel like you're teaching That's and right. catering for them. I like that. That's right. Very Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So what surprised you most about your role and being an academic once you got into it? What wasn't quite what you expected? For better I didn't worse. realize I thought it was more about research than teaching okay. um, probably and um, particularly at the beginning it's much much more about teaching than research yeah. <laughs> and the, the you know uh, there's a lot of um, planning and preparation and all those sorts of things that go on. Um, that is very much the same as um, teaching in a school. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, I don't really have any more questions about <laughs> lecturing in specific. I feel like you covered a lot of different areas. And like I said, you definitely sold it to me, which I was not expecting. But we'll see. We'll see. And I'm sure you'll Jess, my older sister as well, will be very, very interested. And I know a few friends who will soak up all the wisdom and want to hear all about it and envision themselves in that position in a few years time. But I always like to conclude with if you were to give your 15 year old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, the advice I give to 15 year olds generally yeah. is not to worry, not to worry as much about the future. Just mm. to take each step on one step at a time and you know, Try and be good and honest and kind, and yeah. things generally tend to work their way out. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's probably what I would say, and I probably wouldn't believe myself either. <laughs> I feel like that is a lot of people say something along those lines, and I think it is something that you just have to learn yourself, which is kind of frustrating. Like I wish, I wish oh, we could hear it and believe it, but I think it is something that everyone tends to kind of struggle through and work through. But it's still That's useful right. to hear. And I'm sure there are people that are comforted <laughs> by that. Thanks for all your time and for sharing. Love the passion behind your voice. <laughs> very, very special. <laughs> means a lot. Thank you. Amazing. And that was the wonderful Julie. Wow, wow, wow. I was not expecting. I love Julie. <laughs> don't, don't take the wrong impression. But I was not expecting to enjoy that conversation as much as I did. Like I said, I had never considered academia as a pathway for me or something that I would be interested in. I definitely envisioned it as old people in trench coats sitting at a table writing on paper and then reading things that nobody else could understand. (laughs) But the way Julie portrayed it, and I loved her passion behind it, was a way to investigate things that are interesting and ways to answer the questions about the world that you're interested in and ways to explore your curiosity and ways to pass on your love of learning and your love of the world and your love of the chosen field to others. And I think that is actually so beautiful and such a purposeful and also humble field. So I I was shocked and I definitely, definitely learned a lot today and my perspective and perception of lecturers and academia academics has changed. So I hope yours has too. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you are someone who has considered this for your future pathway, I hope it answered some of your questions or maybe even just lit that flame inside you a little bit stronger to be filled with a little bit more passion and purpose as you chase those dreams laid out before you because you've got this, you can do it. And so long as you stay curious, as Julie said, seems like you will go far and inspire and impact a lot of people. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I highly encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might be interested in the academic world or doing research, thesis, masters, honors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So definitely share it, pass it along to someone else, help them to have some of their questions answered and help them to feel a little bit more peace about the future. So that would be wonderful. But in the meantime, thank you for being here. Thank you for sticking around and listening. Thank you once again to Julie for your time and sharing your story and all of your experiences. It was amazing to hear. I hope you know that you are loved and you are special and you have a unique role and purpose and impact on this world. And yeah, your life has a lot of meaning. Even if you can't necessarily see it right now, I promise you it does. So 
I hope you can take that with you into the next few hours, the next few days. Just have a good time because life is meant to be enjoyed. And that is all for today. Thank you for stinking. <laughs> Thank you for stinking around. Thank you for sticking around. Hope you have a fabulous week and good luck, Charlie. Bye, guys. Good luck, Charlie. Bubba doo doo doo.